Welcome to the Fallon Forum, folks. Uh, we're here in the heartland of America, Des Moines, Iowa. We do our best to always bring you independent voices, uh, intriguing opinions, and civil dialogue across that gaping political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, your host. With me today, Dr. Charles Goldman. Hey, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or are with a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Charles, welcome to the program. How's it going, Ed? Well, it's going all right. We're in the middle of winter. Yeah. With that, with, as, as I told Kathy, we're in the dog days of winter. The dog days <laughs> of winter. Hey, so, hey, later in the program, you and I are going to be talking about some various climate stories. Um, we're also going to be, one of, your, your, one, of your, one of your pet themes, we're going to be looking at the premise that the U.S. was founded as a Christian nation. Say no more. Save it. We're going to talk about that. That's fine. And then Kathy... <laughs> Burns is going to join us later. We're going to be talking about raising cows at sea. Yeah. But first, Charles, um, okay, my question for you is, how long will it take before a robot becomes president of the United States of America? That's the big question of the day. <laughs> I think it's going to be a while on that. Well, I mean, people thought it would be a while before, you know, an African-American president would happen. People thought somebody like Donald Trump would never be president. So the maxim they told us in, you know, in grade school, you too can be president, was proven back in 2016 by Donald Trump. So again, I think if Donald Trump can be president, a robot can pull it off. Well, are, are we talking about, I, I, I would make some distinction here about a robot and a cyborg, okay? I mean, something which is truly seemingly human, I guess could confuse a populace as gullible as ours. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not sure, at least at this point, that there's a... Possibility of a robot being the president just yet. We're only gullible because we dream for bigger and better things. Well, no, it's actually pretty fascinating. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that we talked about talking about AI a number of and months again, ago. And again, to be clear, artificial, artificial intelligence, intelligence, not artificial insemination. That's correct. And is... that'll be on Kathy and yours segment on the cows at sea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe. So how do they do it out there? The rolling waves. <laughs> <laughs> So it's actually, this is actually a fascinating time. I mean, first of all, it's not, although I went and looked for what is the definition of AI, it's not entirely clear to me what constitutes AI. No, I'm not sure it's clear to anybody. Right. And, you know, the, the, the definition I kind of came across most often is that these are computers with the ability to do tasks we normally associate with human intelligence, right. which can include, most things right now are mostly about language, to some degree, manipulation of visual images, right. but that we are trying to make a artificial intelligence that, at least theoretically, emulates the neural network in our own brain and the way that we process right. information, and that ultimately these entities, these AI entities, would perhaps have capability of uh, visual perception, um, of you know reaching their own conclusions, essentially. You know, like for instance, one of the uh, really advanced forms of AI is is GPT three. GPT three. GPT three, right? Which which stands for? I I have no idea. Okay, make something up. Right, but it generates tweets. It writes poetry. It summarizes emails. It writes its own code, which is interesting okay. because what they're looking for with AI is the ability to self repair, or at least not if you can't self repair to you know. What work you, around. Well, what, what, what really are people looking for in AI? The, the, there, there are folks who are lock, stock, and barrel behind this. I mean, one name comes to mind, Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, he's changed, well, the, actually, changed the name of Facebook to Meta. Right. The Meta, Metaverse. Meta is actually a relatively minor player compared to Google and some other well, so far, companies you've never heard of. Yeah, so far. Well, and it may be, it may be as far as it goes, the, too. The idea is that the human brain cannot actually incorporate the, the multiplicity of information that we're now being bombarded with. That's probably one of the reasons why, because we have emotions and other parts of our brain that interact with the processing part of our brain. At some point, 
we just get overwhelmed. That's this is why we live in a society of anxiety, sleeplessness, ill health. Right. It's, well, and we're, we're not that far removed from living in caves and, and trees. Well, you know? and that's and true. This, and this, and in, 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 in that experience, yeah, there are plenty of stimuli. Well, we're overstimulated. But right but now, the point the is, stimulation a, is beyond a, a AI entity isn't going to be overstimulated. Right. Don't think. The problem with all artificial intelligence is what are you putting into it? Was like for instance, you know, the big one everyone knows about is, is this, you know, chatbot, chat GPT. Right. Well, they basically just feed into these supercomputers like any content they can find on the internet mm-hmm. in some sort of natural language way. Well, the problem, of course, is a huge amount of what's on the internet is nonsense. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> right, right, and right, right. At right. this point, the AI, <laughs> the AI we're developing cannot discriminate between what's Truth absolutely false, right. exactly. So it could and, be spewing back all kinds of fake news. So right. Well, that's yeah. that's the concern. There are many concerns. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, the classic concerns are like, you know, science fiction out of the 1950s, you know, the malevolent robot like HAL in 2001, you know. and Space Odyssey. And, of course, you're right. And, of course, you know, the Terminator and all those <laughs> kind of robots. But, you know, the... We're, we're sort of in the infancy of this, but what, what's they're trying to do, you ask what they're trying to do. They're trying to harness the fact that, for instance, during COVID, they turned to AI to just pour through the literature um, and, and, you know, things out there in nature and, 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 you know, chemicals that could be potentially created to see is there anything that we have looked at before that might have utility um, in, in, in COVID. And of course, they came up with ivermectin. No. <laughs> no, that was not an AI development. Um, but the idea is, is, is to take the advances in computer speed and capability and allow computers to look for correlations between things that, honestly, the human brain would never be able to do, except okay. for people who are extraordinarily, you know, out there in their intelligence, like the Hawkings and people like that who see things that most people can't see. Like Mark Zuckerberg. No, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't <laughs> see these things. But so the idea is 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 generally twofold. One, it's benevolent because we will be able to advance a lot of things. In fact, things that you uh, would, uh, what you describe seems benevolent on the surface, but again, I my contention is that these things are being pursued because someone will make a heck of a lot of money on it. Someone is going to get crazy rich doing this. And that's the well, main that, reason why it's being pursued. Uh, yes, there's also scientific curiosity. I get that. but uh, And I appreciate the people who are in it for curiosity's sake. But somebody is behind this because there's a ton of money to be made on it and also a ton of control. Well, and I, 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 don't, I, I don't like where either of those roads lead. Well, well, how is it any different than what we already have in many ways? I mean, the algorithms that we're using now to market things to people or to manipulate them through things like TikTok and everything else are already in place. Okay, I rest my this, case. It's well, not, it's, it, it, it is like what we have now, only worse. Well, but, I mean, I know we're going to talk about climate, and I, and I know your approach to climate is to continue advocating to get people to do the right thing. But we're probably beyond do the right thing. And ultimately, we're going to have to admit there ha- if there's going to be any solution beyond some change in our habits of consumption, which it's too late to reverse if we do this right now, you're going to have to look at technological things. Okay. And the technology you're looking at is we haven't even thought about it. And the whole point so of AI saying- is to give something that's more dispassionate and has more capabilities the ability to say, wow, maybe maybe there's a way of, you know, making lithium batteries far more efficient than anybody's thought of up till now and use less lithium in them. And so, therefore, the cost goes down, the exploitation of Africa goes down, you know. And <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you're presuming. Okay, so I'm, I would argue that we already know those things. We already know that we don't have to exploit children in, in the Congo to obtain our lithium. We already know we but don't have to. But that's not going to solve. We, yes, we well, know that. That's so, right. So, so if a changed. machine, if a robot comes up with a better quote, I'm putting better in quotes, better right. idea on how to how to exploit lithium without as much oppression, we already know that. We, you know, we're, well, and, we, and money it, no, and power are going to ignore that. it. No, no. I mean, what 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 <laughs> what AI would do is not just say, "Well, we already know that." It would say, "Well, I'm going to give you an idea as to how you might make lithium less." Less of it needed and more of it 
used efficiently. And the unscrupulous business executive turned politician is going to say, okay, lithium, I'll see you at the polls. <laughs> or not lithium, I'll see AI. You know, it's, well, no, I mean, a lot, well, maybe, first, maybe, of all, first of all, a lot of the AI is, is actually open. It's out there. So the framework of AI that we're using, the natural language framework, is readily available. What people are doing is simply using that open framework to then create specific uh, applications for AI that could be beneficial. I mean, I, 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 I don't see. I, I just see it as a rationalization of the industrial process in some way. You so, mean you mean a, a, a kind of a, a, an ultimate extension of the industrial process? Well, but it, but it's also a rationalization in, in that it, it would allow us to do it better. And I mean, like like for instance, I lived in Pittsburgh or near Pittsburgh for a good period of time. So you ask you ask the question, why did the American steel industry disappear? Right? <laughs> there's a there's a bridge in Pittsburgh called the Hot Metal Bridge. All right, and what they literally used to do was take the heated ore from one side of the river to the other to. Um, process. And that's what an idiotic idea. I mean, so that's the kind of things we do. That's the kind of things we do industrially. They're just inefficient, you know, and this this is about efficiency and about accepting that. Okay, so what I hear, what I hear, when I hear efficiency and I apply it to agriculture, I see, I see, uh, we had, we had, a, we had a, um, a corporate ag leader here in Iowa who years ago envisioned that within the near future, within the century, the goal would be one farm per Iowa County. And I assume, I presume that he'd like to see that same model replicated across rural America, one farm per county. That's very efficient, Charles. If that's what AI is gonna be leading us toward, I think I'd like to take a different route. Which would be what? Um, looking at the wisdom, the, uh, the, the traditions that have been, uh, that have survived Despite, our, despite the efforts of industrialization, traditions that have survived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that uh, can teach us a lot about how to live well, yet to live within, in harmony with the world around us. And I, I don't see AI doing that. I don't see AI giving a darn about and, living and, in harmony with nature. And, and that Rousseauian, you know, sort of, you know... Rousseauian, Jeffersonian... Yeah, well, yeah, so that model is great when you have maybe... 20 million people in the ah. world, not 4.5 billion. Okay, so... You know, so that, that's a, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, and there's always a niche for people who would want things that would be specialty things. And... I think the niche has to become the mainstream. I, that has I, to become I, the mainstream. That, first of all, the niche items are more expensive. It can't become mainstream. It doesn't have to be more expensive. How much of what, how much of what, what most Americans consume is heavily subsidized? I'll give you a hint. No, almost all of it, all, right. all, all the stuff that is not good for us, corn syrup, for example. Well, but Sorry, not, I have know, a corn farm. There, there, there these are, things are heavily subsidized. There, there are farms that are non-industrial farms that still grow beans and corn and wheat. It's not like only the corporations grow it. If it makes money, people and it can be subsidized, people are going to grow it. I mean, I'm not sure. So I, my, my, well, my my point is that you what you're calling a niche it's, it's a niche market because it's it's so. Um, hard to make it work economically because the market has not been influenced by government policies in a way that uh, that uh, that allows it to do so okay but this but, is this is this is a a period of time when you can make that argument the problem right now is and you should especially with the climate issue is that we have the luxury at least for a little bit longer to be able to have this argument ultimately we're not going to be able to have this argument unless there's a change in the technology of both farming and of the actual plants themselves. Because right. they're not going to survive anymore. Back to my point. Let's learn from the, the native wisdom of communities, not just in this country, but around the world, that have lived in sync with the land for, again, mil millennia. And that's true and not true. I mean, I know, I know what you're talking about. But, you know, go out, to, go out to various places where the Native Americans, the you know, Indian people of our continent lived, and they're not there anymore. And it's not because we, they, we went out and killed them. We later did. But, um, <laughs> but they, you know, they degraded their environments too. Give me an example. You know, I mean, go out to Mesa Verde. I mean, where'd those people go? I don't know about nobody, Mesa Verde, no, but I... Nobody knows. I mean, the point is that there's many places. I'm not saying they didn't try to live in harmony and certainly were more effective than, um, you know our manifest destiny of controlling everything. Um, well, controlling, you know, en, but, route, en route to controlling, destroying. But I, I think, again, 
it, these were tribes. They were relatively small you know, congregations of people. They were not living in huge cities. Now, in Central well, America, okay. they were living in huge well, cities. Yeah, sure. And a lot of those places also disappeared. Well, because with they, the help of conquistadors. No, not it wasn't just conquistadors. It was disease. Brought it by was, conquistadors. Was, no. Come on. <laughs> what? Hi. Where, where did the disease that killed Native American cultures come from? Some of them came externally. Well, yeah, they, obviously smallpox was... Uh, sure. But smallpox was an epidemic everywhere. So you're saying that if they had lived in isolation, they never would have gotten smallpox. Well, yeah, but they weren't going to live in isolation for their entirety, or they would have gone out and, and you know, gone I'm to so, the seas I, I, and, yeah, and I, gotten I, the disease I, that way. I'm not saying we go back in time entirely, but I'm saying we need to learn from what happened before, from, from the wisdom of the past, and we need to apply that to the present. And I think when you do that, when you apply that wisdom, you don't see a road forward with artificial intelligence playing a central role in how we live on this planet. I don't see it. I, I mean, I, I think there's the one element in which you're right here is, of course, we're, we're imbuing AI with the same biases that the Internet itself exhibits, which is reflective of what we think well, and the, how we work. Well, now that Charles had admitted that I'm right in one, in one small way, uh, <laughs> we need to run to a short break. <laughs> anyway, hey, uh, Ed Fallon, Charles Goldman with you here, folks. When we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about climate change uh, because there's a whole lot happening on that front, including a disturbing weather forecast for 2023. Also, the corporate media getting it wrong, in my opinion, when it comes to both urban sprawl and China's population decline. We're also going to talk about Extinction Rebellion and their move away from what they call disruption. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. You are not a robot. You're lovable. So lovable. But you're just trouble. Guess what? I'm not a robot. A robot. Guess what? Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Uh, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here is more important than ever, so please support what we do. Go to the Fallon Forum website, uh, donate once if you can, donate monthly, even better if you can. Become a sponsor of the program. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, owner Mark Clipsham says that no matter how you plan or renovate your project, please use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. And on Saturdays, by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, Charles, uh, if the last segment didn't scare you away, uh, let's continue, shall we? Sure. All right, so climate change. Uh, we talk about that a lot because it's a big deal, and I want to cover four different things today if we can, and maybe, maybe we'll even dig into some other issues as well. But one is the... Uh, the, the forecast for 2023 being the new hottest year on record uh, based on El Nino, which, again, is uh, 
is a is a, is a global current phenomenon that um, has been absent for a few years, and thus the temperatures have probably been lower than they would have been otherwise. But El Nino uh, back replacing La Nina and looking like a like like major uh, heat issues are going to be affecting much of the planet by the mid year. Well, uh, but I think the important thing to say is El Ninos happen. Oh yeah, all cyclically. the time. Yeah. But when you start with an ocean that's already hotter, then El Ninos are going to cause more dis, you know, displacement toward the heating than they would have in the past. But it, let, let's be honest, I mean, it is a cyclical phenomenon, this change in current. Sure, but the problem is because the overall planet is heating, the extremes that El Nino bring will be even more extreme. Well, correct, because the main heat sink right now for us is the oceans. Right. So, you know, I'd love to see the corporate media talk more about this, but um, I've kind of, uh, I've kind of, other than the, the Guardian is really good. The Guardian is great. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I don't see a lot of ability to connect, for example, an extreme weather event that is historic. Uh, maybe it was the tornadoes in Iowa in December a couple of years ago, or the tornadoes in Iowa in January, uh, the derecho here. The, some of the weather happening in California right now, the, far, the fires out west, you know, every one of those should be connected to what's going on with our climate, and yet the corporate media almost always fail to do that. But um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And let, let me switch gears. It isn't often talked about as a climate concern, but I feel population is such a concern. And uh, China just saw its first, in, in 60 years, the first decline in population in 60 years, um, significant decline. And uh, the, the status quo media is all upset about this. I mean, I, to me, okay, I mean, to me, that's a good thing. Oh, good. The, the biggest, the most populous country in the world declined a little bit. That's a good thing, right? Less impact on the planet. You know, we're, over, we're overextended on planet Earth in terms of humanity's numbers, in my opinion. So, yeah, a little drop is good, but well, all, all, all the mainstream media is like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is terrible. China's population is dropping. What are we going to do? Well, I, uh, thank you, Malthus, for <laughs> giving us that prediction. Well, no, we're not overextended. <laughs> but the consequence, the consequence of doing the things to support a greater population is the greater exploitation of fossil fuels at this point. And that, of course, is the biggest contributor to, um, to, to global warming. And as we know, it, now it's just become kind of a synergistic process where, yes, we warm it with CO2 and methane emissions into the atmosphere, which then melts areas where there's a whole bunch of methane and you know, CO2 that, that's been trapped in, in the ground, like you know, the, the tundra and Siberia and things. And so it's now just become a synergistic you know, kind of process. Um, it's interesting. I, I didn't really perceive that the media was so much about it was bad for China. But they, they, were, they were more interested in why. I mean, well, because they have the one-child policy. They, and that's changing now. They're, that's correct. I mean, here's President uh, Xi Jinping saying, quote, uh, we will improve the population development strategy. He said this back in October. Mm-hmm. He vowed to, quote, establish a policy system to boost birth rates and bring down the cost of pregnancy and childbirth, child-rearing, and schooling. Right. So they're going the opposite direction of the one-child-per-family. Right. And actually what also came out was that part of what happened from this one-child-family policy was the move particularly of women from rural areas into the cities looking for um, careers and some of the things that, you know, with their exposure to you know, other countries' values like the United States and Europe, you know, European nations, um, as women seek out to, you know, equalize their position in society with men, especially in a society like China where, you know, there was even more disparity at one time, birth rates go down naturally with that. And that we're seeing the same thing here. Sure, and, that, and, that, and that's good. So That's good. Yeah, so why doesn't the media talk about it as if it's good? <laughs> that's what I don't get. It's because the media, the corporate media, is the mouthpiece of the status quo. And the status quo is that we must always get bigger. The economy must be bigger. Our population must be bigger. Our cities and towns must be bigger. Uh, our income must be bigger. Everything has to get bigger. It's this, it's, 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 it's this insane 
model that is more it's it's more designed after a we're, after we're, a cancer cell, John, uh, Charles, and it is. After, I mean, do you really think that the policies of the American government are are to enhance birth rates? Uh, no, but, so, but the, the, for example, the child tax credit that helps um, subsidized child care helps, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you know. But the uh, the whole system is designed to continue to expand and expand. And, I mean, well, there's a lot of inputs into why a population increase is good or bad. I mean, what, what, in what, our country, well, in our country, um, the problem with too few births is there's too few young people, there's too few future workers to pay into the you know to the transfer of wealth to elderly people to take care of them. So there's there's a lot more going on than just about climate change. And again, I'm I'm not advocating for a sudden drop in population, but over time there has to be a a significant reduction in the number of people on this planet. But if this we is wanna, not this shouldn't even be news. This is true of almost every developed country as economic, you know, prosperity is better distributed or at least sure. it's more widely distributed and people have Yes. You know, higher standards of living, birth rates tend to go down. This is true. Almost, and, you know, and, and it's good. We're zero. We're we're probably near net zero population yeah. growth in the United States pretty soon. Japanese obviously have been there for a long time. Yeah. The Europeans Europe. are approaching the same. Yeah. But my my point is, the media don't seem to frame it that way. It's like, oh my God, look, this this is terrible. What's happening? It's not. It's a good thing, and it needs to. It needs the the decline in global population needs to grow. If I can uh, yeah. mix those words up. Well, I, I guess I guess I, I get back to my same question, which is, what's the real driver for the belief that we have to have more people? Where did that come from? It's the we we it's 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 the, you know big business and their goal of getting richer and richer all the time doesn't work unless there are more consumers and also more fodder for the. Uh, for the, uh, for the, See, for I, the mills, I, I they know. need more I, workers. I would disagree with that. They well, don't need more workers because <laughs> they don't need more workers. They could automate and use a lot less workers in many things. Well, and they're doing that. Right. They're doing that. Right. But they, they, only, they can only do that as, uh, as AI presents the technology for us to do that. Well, they need AI to automate, <laughs> but AI certainly helps. No, I, I mean, what are the, the, to me, the biggest driver of birth rates is religious belief right now. I mean, you've got certain places. you have certain religions that are very much, you know, pro promulgating the species, you know, and um, you look at the countries where the where the birth rates are highest. It's oftentimes where, where there's a fairly, you know, kind of mono religion or at least a highly dominant religion, which which belief system is based on. That's what we're supposed to do. And you see that across the board: Christianity, Islam, Judaism. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. The orthodoxy of, of, of those three religions is very much about that. And the irony is that at least two of the three of them, and really the third is derivative of, of at least one of them, they were tribal religions to start with. And at the time that they were, you know, the, the scripture was written, they were written at a time when your numerical strength sure. correlated with your military strength, sure. which no longer it does. Right. But yeah. it, they still, you're right. I mean, that's still sort of part of what we're... But, That's uh, why I don't. I I, don't, I see it a little bit differently. I know you know big business is always driving this. Big business can't make people have children. <laughs> no, but <they're, laughs> I mean, it's there's something more going on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But again, I'm be curious to see how China's new policy of hey, we want you to have kids works out. That'll be interesting. But again, uh, again, my my problem is with the way the media is reporting on it. And to bring it from a global level to a local one, and this is local to Des Moines, but probably mm -hmm. relevant to listeners all across the country, you know, Des Moines uh, is, you know, it was, it was about, about 500,000 people not too long ago. Now it's up to the Des Moines Metro is 700,000 people. Mm -hmm. And the Des Moines Register just published a front page story in the Sunday paper, you know, the biggest paper of the week, about um, how glorious it will be as the suburbs continue to expand. And the... Um, you know, the story is unapologetically one-sided. Everything is about how the cities are preparing for this growth. And, you know, it says nothing about the fact that all this growth is heavily subsidized. It's, you know, you don't, you don't get new housing developments unless you take tax dollars from somewhere and spend it to build roads, to build sewer lines, water lines, other types of infrastructure. And even still, you might lose money on it. But they, they still go ahead and want to do that. And, and, and this, this article is just shamelessly promoting, promoting this model 
of, uh, of, of, of urban development as good. You well, know? I, it's interesting you say that because it, it personifies crony capitalism. This is what we have in this country, which is the commons pay for all the, the uh, you common and, expenses you that allow. Rom- you and Mitt Romney. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I mean, you know, uh, there's no question about it that um, we pay for things which then, you know, private entities, whether they be corporations or in some cases just private people, you know, selling a house out in the burbs, um, they benefit and then they don't want to pay taxes to anybody. Yeah. Right. And so it's somebody else is supposed to pay the bill. You know, as Paul Krugman said, you know, mm. we think everybody else is a moocher. <laughs> but but you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're yeah, absolutely really right. right. The, that those are the subsidies. You know, it's one thing when you see the subsidies. You know, the the agricultural welfare that goes on, as you pointed out already. Right. You know, but um, all of this that you're and you're absolutely right. And you know what the other subsidy is that you get to deduct your mortgage interest. Sure. Right. Oh, and they use they use tax abatement, tax mm-hmm. increment financing. All these are tax shifts. Right. Yeah. The biggest the biggest give back actually to the American taxpayers is the deductibility of corporate supplied corporation supplied health insurance yeah. followed by the mortgage deduction. All right. So in other climate news, Extinction Rebellion, the big. Uh, <clears throat> You know, Britain, British... The art, the art, the art appreciators? <laughs> well, uh, there's a few groups that, quote, appreciate art by, like, by desecrating it. But Extinction Rebellion has been the most famous. Uh, and uh, they, have, they had a big announcement this, uh, this, this past week. They are backing away from what they call disruption. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating to me because, again, that's how they've made their name. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they say they're, quote, backing away from it as a, as a tactical, uh, tactical reasons in an effort to reach out beyond the activist community. I wonder how that's going to work out. At the, at the same time, we have groups like Just Stop Oil that we're right now, currently there are 13 Just Stop Oil activists in prison in Britain. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you've got this village in Germany that uh, the German government wants to bulldoze or is bulldozing in order to extract the, the coal underneath that city. And that, is, that has drawn hundreds of, um, of protesters. And again, some of them doing very extreme things involving property destruction. Um, and many of them getting arrested nonviolently. Greta Thunberg, is a, there's a, a kind of an iconic photo of her being hauled away, carried away by German police officers. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know, Charles. I'm just trying to get a sense of your thoughts on tactics in terms of fighting to raise awareness about the climate crisis. We've had this conversation before in the show, mm. and we kind of go all over the board. We have guests who go all over the board on it. But um, here we have one of the prime uh, pro-disruption groups backing away from it, at least temporarily. Well, because, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's, it's particularly effective, especially in this era where it's just subsumed by... So much, you know, when you go on the internet, I mean, it's just, a, it's one of many stories. And we're so used to and so inured to extreme action at this point. Um, it's, it's, I don't think it's getting the point across any longer, you know. Um, so you would agree with the Extinction Rebellion decision to back away from disruption for tactical reasons? Yes, yes. I think you just have to deal with that. It, it, it is mostly entertaining to people who already think like they do. And it really ticks off those who don't, or even some who are in the middle. I don't think some. I don't think it animates a lot of people mm. who really don't care that much about climate change, because I don't. You know, they're not the type of people who would care if they desecrated some painting in Europe. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but they care when you tie yourself to a goalpost at a, a soccer game. <laughs> yes, that's, they would. Yes, that's they a would. bad idea. And that's to get rid of the shootout. Um, <laughs> That's a protest I'd be down with. <laughs> All right, well, I'm sorry, I, the penalty ever, kicks. If I ever, the penalty, penalty kicks. kicks. If I ever see you chained to a goalpost, I'll know that I'll know that the game has ended in a tie. That's right. If I'm in hospice, I'm going to chain myself to a goalpost. <laughs> you know, there's probably a more glorious way to go out than that, but you know, shoot yourself. Anyway, well, uh, all right. Hey, we, got, we could talk about this for a long time, but we got other stuff to uh, deal with. Uh, again, Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you here. Got to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about, uh, this is a conversation Charles wants to have, about the claim that America was founded as a Christian nation. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online 
and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. back to the Ballot Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the angry, crazy shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Ballot Forum website for details. And thanks to our sponsors, including psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, in fact, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact David Drake, FamilyPsychiatry.com. All right, Charles, so uh, you have the audacity to believe that the U.S., America, was not founded as a Christian nation. Well, no, I'm, I, I'm not so much saying that as I, I've never entirely understood what that means. And what drove my interest in this was I was reading through you know various magazines and other things I get, and there was an article on a um, something I'd never heard of, the Flushing Remonstrance. The what? Flushing Remonstrance. That doesn't happen in a bathroom, does it? No. Okay. No, actually, and the reason it was, I was interested is because myself and Dr. Goldman were born in uh, Flushing, Queens. Oh. And that right. actually is what it referred to, which was it was a um, statement about religious freedom that was brought against Peter Stuyvesant and you know the Dutch when they at one time were the colonial power and right. holding right. Uh, what's now... New York City. And so there was something in the article talking about how our whole view of what occurred in terms of the United States being a Christian nation is actually more about Anglophiles who controlled the historical narrative. Um, It has nothing to do with Christianity. Is it all of history about who controls the narrative? Of course, of course. So, So it got me, you know, interested in sort of looking at what, you know, what religion was like, in fact, in the colonies, you know, prior to the Revolutionary War. It varied from one colony to another. Well, but it didn't vary as much as I thought. Now, the the first thing was that, um, in actuality, uh, coming into the Revolutionary War, eight of the 13 colonies actually had essentially state religions, or at least they had state support of a preferred religion. Which one it was usually was related to as you're saying, the variability of, of the of the distribution of the Anglicans. The Quakers had Pennsylvania. Well, the Quakers found the Pennsylvania. Roger Williams um, was thrown out from the Massachusetts Bay Colony because he he uh, criticized the the Puritans. And uh, actually, those were the only two states that at their Articles of Confederation were specific about religious freedom. Um, but again, going back even further, so you know, I was thinking about well, what did they teach us in school? About it, it's I kind to, of. I went to Catholic school. Do you really want to know? No, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think. I mean, you know, there's almost like a void before the Revolutionary War, right? Before the United States sort of comes together, there's this void. First, you, you have like Roanoke, the Roanoke colony that Virginia, you know, disappeared, yeah. the aliens took them or whoever. Right, right. You know, then you have Jamestown, right? And then you lo- learn about, you know, the Dutch in New York. And then there's kind of this void until you get to the Revolutionary War, you know, and, oh, I'm sorry. And then, of course, there's the, the Pilgrims. Yeah, well, you forgot about Plymouth Rock. Right, Plymouth Rock. Right. Yeah. And, and My Pilgrim. favorite place to hang out and drink when I was a kid. Yeah, well, you know, we all know the story. Tom Brady led them. Right, that's right. <laughs> on there. That's right. You know, and the story you would They're taught. changing the name, by the way, to the Tom Brady Plymouth Rock. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so the story, the story that you know, you kind of got was that these were, 
people who were seeking religious freedom because they were considered dissidents against the Anglican Church. Mm-hmm. They were pretty strict Calvinists, which meant they weren't a lot of fun of the party, you know, <laughs> and, and they were pretty literal in terms of their reading of the scripture. And um, Except when it became inconvenient. Well, that's true. Sure. But so they came for religious freedom. But then the irony was that when they got here, their religious freedom was everybody was going to do what they wanted them to do, which was believe what they believed. And if not, that's why they threw Roger Williams out and Ann Hutchison out, you know, um, and that was not that was fairly characteristic of the colonies that were predominantly Anglican, which was that they were kind of a state religion in many ways huh. up until the Revolution. Who knew? Who knew that the English could be intolerant? <laughs> okay, you know, and and their intolerance was oftentimes played out on the usual suspects, the Catholics, yeah. um, in particular the Quakers, who were a great threat to them by basically saying, you know. Religion revolves around personal, you know, and a community effort to find ethics, not some sort of mystical scripture. All right, so how do we get from that to the notion that in 1776, with the Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, somehow America was established as a Christian community? It's absolutely untrue because, in fact, the people who, you know, they always throw around the term, that Jefferson and Franklin and Madison and most and many of the founding fathers, particularly the ones who did most of the writing of the Federalist Papers, were deists, right? Okay. Now, what does that mean? So that means they were Unitarians. That, in, in fact, that is exactly who they were, were aligned with. They, mm-hmm. what had happened was right before the Revolutionary War, there was kind of a real. The, the first born-again Reformation, the Great Awakening in the United States, in the, I'm sorry, in the colonies. And it led to a, a um, moving away from the clergy as being, you know, the guides to your salvation. Because, you know, it was kind of the Lutheran belief, the, you know, the, the, that early Protestant belief, that this is an individual act. Yeah, you, were, you were justified you, by faith. Right. You didn't need... Some dang pope in Rome telling you what to do, or and 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 certainly that the state should not be involved in it. Right, and it didn't necessarily lead them to be more tolerant of other religions, but nevertheless, heaven forbid. Right, it did get rid of the. It, it began to disconnect religion from its very close, very close association with the state um, in in the early colonial times. So the deists kind of took that one step further and said, "There's only natural law." And look at nature. You know, God has put the lessons we need to know in nature. And you know, this was this was so, well, this was so, this is your buddy Rousseau. So let's destroy and it. And then no, they, they, they didn't say destroy it. But the point was is that in fact, the the Bill of Rights and and the specific um, you know wording of the First Amendment, no matter what this court thinks it says, was number one. The state needs to stay out. There should be no state establishment of religion. That's absolutely clear. And that was a reaction to the history of the colonies. And, that, and that's pretty clear. So how do you get from that to the contention held by many on the political right that America is a Christian nation? Well, these people were different versions of Christian. But they, there's no—Christianity is a wide swath of beliefs. And specifically, the True. people who are leading this— you know, change over to some sort of republic, were uninterested in state interference in religion, and they were also uninterested in religious interference with civil life. And that makes sense if you've got 13 colonies uh, and, what, eight of them with different religions, different different versions of Christianity. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense to to make sure that not one of those becomes dominant. Right. If you're, if you're, try, if you're trying to pull the, all these colonies together. So... But I, I, can, I guess I can see how the um, the political right would would boil that down to yeah there may be there may have been differences of opinion but they were all Christian there was no understanding that there was a Muslim presence in the U.S. or heaven forbid a Jewish presence okay well that's Hindu completely that's completely ahistorical okay because in, in, in I, fact I, I, the Great I'm not, Awakening I, I'm occurs, not defending it I'm a, right I'm, but it's I'm, not it's trying. completely ahistorical I mean there were there was a huge amount of uh, immigration into the colonies of 
all sorts of different ways of looking at Christianity. Jews, obviously, you know, uh, the Quakers, I guess is a form of Christianity, but it's not in any way with the Christianity that these people are talking about. You know, it, that's my point. You can, it, it, it's almost, it's, it's a meaningless statement. Okay. Yes. Which is a lot of Christian, a lot of people who would be identified as one part of Christianity came over initially. That, of course, ignores the presence of the Native Americans who were not Christians, you know, and the slaves who kind of depended on where you were, whether they were sort of forced into that. But, um, yes, it's just another, it's another, you know, deracination of the facts. And, And it's irrelevant because the whole point of these rights that we, you know, so push out to the rest of the world is, you know, these, this is such a great, you know, the Constitution is great, the Bill of Rights is great. I mean, of course, as you say, we oftentimes don't live up to any of it. Um, it wasn't put together by people who were trying to make Jesus Christ the, uh, the guider of the president. It was put together by people who had no interest in that. They were trying to defend against that. They were trying, they were rationalists. So, they were Protestant rationalists okay. who believed that you could perfect so, man through education and thought. So why, do, why does the, uh, why does the uh, story persist that the, the, the America was founded as a Christian nation? I mean, my, 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 my sense is that it persists because it's very politically convenient for it to continue. Uh, it helps uh, support um, the, the concern that, uh, that, uh, what has been the dominant element of American society, you know, um, folks descended from white settlers, are uh, are at risk of losing their power. And one way to kind of harness that uh, that identity is to rally around the notion that we are a Christian nation, and that uh, there is a preference. Uh, and it, it, this harkens right back to Manifest Destiny, doesn't it? That you know we have a right to be here. This is our land. Um, it is a Christian land, and those who don't fit in with that description are not welcome here. I mean, that's that's the extreme ex- extreme well, extension that's, of it. That's kind of where we started from. The majority of the colonies were not interested in pluralism; they were interested in a dominant theocratic government. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so, in in many ways, the government we created was somewhat aberrational to the time. You know, and it was just that at the time, the, the gentry, you know, the landed gentry, the landed white gentry, were fairly um, consistent in their beliefs, and, and they were heavily influenced by the European rationalists. And so that's what they created. Um, but, yes, and it, but for the, it's the same reason. Our society as a whole is much more pluralistic now. There's no going back. I mean, this country we already know is going to be minority white in the near future, whatever that means. Because as I've said before, white is a color of skin. It has nothing to do with anything about right. capabilities. It has nothing to do with, with you know, who you are as a person. And it's becoming even more and more meaningless as you know, we have you know, integration in our society. Um, so, but it's just, it's, it's just the make, it's like make America great again. Right. I mean, Trump was trying to bring back the 50s because somehow he thought that was a great time. I guess it was great because hippies weren't, you know, the, the, the people who became the boomers weren't, you know, mucking things up and black people were didn't have rights. And so that was fine. <laughs> but really, when when, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. It's like that, that decision that Alito wrote in Dobbs, you know, where they're going back to like, you know, medieval times to find out, you know, what they thought about abortion. Who cares? You know, I mean, but when you when you say this was a Christian, we were founded as a Christian country, it's another statement I would say, so what? It doesn't mean anything anyway, but so what? Okay. This isn't the way it is anymore. It's not a Christian country. Well, and again, the argument, well, it should be. It was founded that way and uh, everything's going down the tubes. I mean, you know, and that's one thing that a lot of people on all various points of the political spectrum agree on. Our country is not doing well. You can get that same perspective from the left, from the right, from the middle. Mm-hmm. And yet when you get into the details, that's where, you know, things kind of get murky. But again, on the more extreme side of the right, it's, yeah, we were a Christian nation and we're losing that. Well, I, I think, as you say, it's politically expedient to some degree. It, 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 it again, brings back this mythological time when everything was great as long as you had slaves. 
you know, and, but, you know, it, it just, it, it doesn't, the left to some degree has driven people to this because everything, yeah. everything is extreme, right? You know, the government is there to make sure people who are in a minority, whatever that may be, are not oppressed for being in the minority. It's not there to force other people to accept that that's what they think is right. What's right is to leave people alone and not oppress them. Hmm. But you can't force other people who don't agree with you for whatever reason, oftentimes religious belief, that you're supposed to believe like they do. It's no, I mean, it's a theocracy from the other side. It's just a theocracy of rationality, supposedly, you know. Yeah. And so battle of theocrats. It is. It, it is. It's is kind the of a weird. The, it's a weird theocracy of the left. Yeah. Well, I don't disagree with that either. <laughs> Charles, um, I always love ending a segment with Charles. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> it's almost as good as saying Charles. I agree with you. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, Charles Goldman with me, folks. Uh, Ed Fallon with you here. Kathy Burns is going to join us after a short break. We're going to be talking, you know, you know how people are now raising fish on dry land? Well, apparently there's some folks who are raising cows out in the ocean. We're going to be talking about them when we come back. Okay, it the... is pretty clear that God did not plan oh, on, there you go. on cows being on boats well, on that the doesn't ocean. Well, wrong... that doesn't make it wrong, Charles. <laughs> that doesn't make it wrong. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Lipsham is committed to the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark says no matter how you plan or renovate your project, use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. A beautiful project will be revered, maintained, and valued, and is the best investment you can make for a future we all share. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a donor, a monthly donor even, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, Kathy Burns is with me, and we are talking about something that I find extremely bizarre and a little bit disturbing, cows being raised on the ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what are they doing? Well, a couple... <laughs> what are they doing out there? A couple in Rotterdam uh, have, well, they have some, you know, experience with aquatic systems, and like swimming pools? <laughs> I think food production ah. systems. But um, they've put together a, a herd of cows floating on the sea. Floating on what? Like it, rafts? Well, it's, it's a, it's a high-tech micro-dairy. It's called a floating farm. It's 10,000 square feet of space for farms so, uh, floating on the water right on the port of Rotterdam. So it, it, it houses 40 cows who produce 200 gallons of milk is, a day. Is it anchored in the sea, or is it it's, actually floating? It's floating on it. On It's a big platform with um, okay. floats underneath it. Well, what's wrong with these which people? Is, which is what a lot of uh, Amsterdam is anyway. Well, right? <laughs> I guess. But, so what's wrong with these people? Why are they doing this? Well, um, Mr. Van Wingerden uh, 
of Mr. and Mrs. Van Wingerden oh, yeah. say that yeah. they have been concerned about the reduction of arable land, uh, you know, the, the farming crisis, where food is produced. And uh, I guess he visited New York City after the 2012 Hurricane Sandy, and he saw how the flooding messed up the food delivery systems. And he thought, hmm, how can people have their food growing right by their city, and they don't have a lot of land to grow well, on I in Rotterdam. I understand that Holland is, uh, I mean, a, bunch, a bunch of the Netherlands is reclaimed mm-hmm. from the sea, but still this seems like a really, well, okay, so first, how, how does it work? Okay, um, this is, first of all, they admit that this is experimental. Good. They built it in order to see how it would go. All right. So How's it, going? Um, it does, it floats on these pontoons, um, rises and falls with the tides. And so there's a rubber floored barn on the top level of the structure. That's where the cows are, and you're going to cringe, robotically milked, <laughs> mucked, and I, that means I, cleaned I, up after. I have, I have not told you this. I've actually seen cows milked robotically. In the Netherlands, mm-hmm. long time ago. Well, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm, people do it all the time. So they're milked, mucked, and for people who don't know what mucked means, then look that up. They're fed. <laughs> look it up because <laughs> means clean up after them. <laughs> and uh, they they can walk down a gangplank to a waterside patch of pasture. Or they they can make the cows walk the plank. I love that. So at the bottom of it, cows is with a, a patch on their eye. It's a, they've got a space for these pirate cows then to um, have their. Uh, they're all kinds of milk turned into a Gouda-style cheese. So they're, uh, cla- they're claiming it's the same. Yeah, so how far out to sea are these, are these cows? I mean, They're right off the coast. Right off the coast. So. Yep. And they're, they're near enough that you could dinghy in the product well, to a farm that is the, the farm that sells the produce then right at the, at the coastline. What happens if one falls into the ocean? Well, if they walk that gangplank, they may, <laughs> well, yeah, they yeah. may be doing that. So, all right, I, I'm thinking about this. It's clever. It's interesting. It's funny that the Dutch got this idea from New York City. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, not from anything being sure. done in New York, but from the but experience from the of problem. Sandy, yeah, mm. Hurricane Sandy. But so, how is this environmentally sustainable? Well, they how does say, it make any sense? They say it's a circular, sustainable system. So, um, the milk is produced into butter, yogurt, other dairy products on site. And on site, right there on the floating, you know, farm. <laughs> And the, on this level, on the farm also, rain is desalinated, or um, seawater is desalinated. They use rain um, for the animals. They, they, they use the animals' manure in town to fertilize local soccer fields, and then the grass from those soccer fields is returned to the cows for the feed. So they Wait, say it's self-sustaining. How does that work? No, okay, if, you, if you're playing soccer on a field... That grass is never going to get very tall. It's never going to get tall enough to cut as a viable source but of hay. But they have seasons. They don't play continuously well, on their yeah, soccer Yeah, and fields. so does grass. Grass doesn't grow in the wintertime. Well, I, I don't know how they do it. In fact, I have lots of questions about this. In other words, uh, yeah. I, I'm curious, like, the type of cow that they are using for this experiment were bred specifically for milk and meat. They don't say that they're not butchering those cows when they reach the end of their life cycle. I don't think the experiment's that far into it. They just sent them off on a raft across the ocean. I don't know. Well, they so. did create this to be replicable. They, okay. They, they but is won't. it being replicated? Um, yes. It um, is. All right. Yes. The, <laughs> the creators, though, say that one of the biggest challenges is uh, regulations. You know, it's the red tape getting in the way. But there are plans. I would think there are no ro- rules and regulations managing raising cattle on the ocean. Um, I never thought of it that way. Um, I don't think there are rules about that, but it might have something to do with, I don't know, safety. There might be some kind of safety standards. Who knows? Who knows? But um, so there are plans in the works for a vegetable farm to move to the space next to the floating farm that will grow vegetables in a similar fashion. So they're Mm -hmm. trying to have side-by-side um, floating farms. There are also some permit applications for similar structures in uh, Dubai, Singapore, and Dutch Dubai. cities. Yeah. Okay. And Dutch cities in Harlem and uh, Arnhem. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just, um, I'm just kind of blown away by this idea because it just seems so absurd to me. 
My, I mean, I, my biggest question is, does it really need to be done? Yeah, I mean, well, you've got. I mean, I understand. It. Okay, the Netherlands, good example. Not a lot of arable land, but is, is this is the alternative? I, I, I just don't. I just don't see how it makes any sense environmentally. You got to build the structure. You've yeah. got to maintain it. I was also curious. Somebody goes into building these robots. What is <laughs> what is the cost and environmental impact of creating the system itself? Yeah, and when, maintaining it. When there's not really a cost and environmental impact on, yeah, on letting what, cows pasture on real grass, yeah. on real land. I mean, so I, I presume they are eating mostly grass? That's what they... It's seaweed? Oh. That's what they imply, but they don't really say <laughs> that they don't finish them off with corn or anything else. All right. Well, anyway, I am... Um, I would love to go see this, but I'm not going to go across the ocean just to do that. But, if we um, chance by. If anybody in Iowa decides to put one of these cow farms on the Mississippi River, I'll or, come visit that. Or on Gray's Lake. On Gray's Lake in Des Moines, sure. All right. Probably not going to happen anytime soon. All right. Hey, th folks, thanks for tuning into our program today and ending on an interesting note. Thanks to our production squad of uh, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and me, Ed Fallon. And thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake, Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Thanks again, folks. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.